You are listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we are working to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear good news and as we scatter to share it. But this morning we are going to be ending our series in the disciples' life, um, looking at the end of that journey. Once again, we started with becoming a disciple, then we looked at a disciple on the road, and you might remember the three words that we use there, a tourist, a pilgrim, or a refugee. Uh, And then we looked at disciples in the trenches last week, and specifically how it is that we can support and love one another when we are in those trenches. Either dodging uh, what's on the road for safety, or battling side by side. And then this week we want to look at the disciple being welcomed home. And here's our big idea. The end of your journey is in sight. Because of Jesus, a homecoming awaits you. Because of Jesus, a homecoming awaits you. Have you ever been on a journey that feels like it will never end? Okay? Now, this could be a half of an hour journey. This could be a multi-day trip on a bus or in a car or in a plane. Whatever it is, it feels like it's never going to end. Maybe it's not a journey, though. Maybe it's something else for you. Maybe it's a project that you have to get done, either at home or at work. And it's it's something with multiple steps, you know, something that you just can't jump to the end of. Really think about anything with a beginning and an end. Maybe it was just, I don't know, Thursday, for instance. (laughs) Maybe Thursday was awful. And you looked at yourself in the mirror, you looked at your watch, you looked at whatever, and you said, is this day ever going to end? And then finally, you hit the bedding on Thursday night, and you melted to sleep, and you were grateful that it was over. That felt good. Now, maybe it was Thursday that was hard for you. Maybe it was a project. Maybe it's a trip. But here's the same truth that holds for all of these things. Um, You can't skip to the end of Thursday, right? If you skip steps in the project at work, everyone's either going to say, well, that person is a buffoon, or your work will just be done poorly and you'll get fired for it. Or maybe it's the journey. And it doesn't matter how fast you drive the car, you're still going to get home at right about the same time. I remember one time Tara and I were visiting her sister. We We were just married and we were driving back um, from her sister's house. It's a 14-hour trip. We were making it in one day, one long stretch. And look, right, right getting close to our house, we lived kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's this big, beautiful road that's just smooth as ice. And it seems like you should be able to go as fast as you want on this road, right? And so I did. And so I did, because look, there's no one else out on the road. It was a Sunday morning. Everyone else was at church or on their pillow church, you know? And so there was no one else out there. And I thought, no, this is good. We're going to make it. And of course, out of nowhere, 
there was a police officer, a traffic officer, and we got pulled over. And unfortunately, unlike here in lovely South Africa, which I try not to speed, but when I do get my little, you know, camera picture in the mail, I look at it and I say, oh man, 200 grand, come on, you're kidding me. Unfortunately, in the States, that price is quite a bit higher, okay? And so what felt like, okay, can't wait to cut five minutes off my trip turned into, I'm going to have to work like three and a half days to pay this ticket, all right? I couldn't just skip to the end of the trip. I had to actually go through it. One of uh, my favorite books that I love reading to our children kind of has this theme about it. It's a family. They're going out on this little adventure, and they come upon all these different obstacles. I don't know if this is the point of this book, but I've turned it into sort of a, um, I, I don't know what you want to say, but, uh, you know, the struggle is the way kind of mentality for the book. And so the family comes up upon a, upon like a swamp, a mud pond, and they say, well, we, we can't go around it, and we can't go under it. We've got to go through it. And this is the way that journeys are. You have to go through it. There's no skipping to the end. There's no easy way out. You've got to go through it. The Hebrews passage that we read this morning, let me just read that for us one more time. Because you might recognize that's coming from this, this hall of fame, this faith hall of fame in the book of Hebrews. And the writer of Hebrews says this, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Each of these people died in the faith knowing that they couldn't go under it, they couldn't get around it, they had to go through it. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure that we have all experienced different seasons of life where we are that tourist, right? Where we're just kind of looking around and the world's happening around us and we visit a place and we think, wow, this place is wonderful, but it's not really home. And then we go home and we think, oh, wow, that place was really great. I really love that place. I can never afford to live in that place, but that place was really great. I want to go back there. Or maybe it's the next place and the next place and the next place. And home never quite feels like home again. Or maybe you are the pilgrim that has gone from place to place and all the time it feels like home is shifting. No, this is home now. I feel good here. This is good. Let's stay. But that next place looks good. Let's move on. Or maybe you are the refugee. Or like so much of the biblical witness shows to us, the exile, right? I mean, we see God's first people, Israel, experience this all the time. They are quite literally exiles from what they thought was supposed to be their homeland. 
What they didn't realize was that it was a picture of that heavenly homeland that they would one day receive. Peter reminded us of this in his first letter, that we are exiles. We are refugees. Separated from our homes. What did it take for these people in this uh, faith hall of fame to get to that heavenly home? It took death. They had to go through it, right? One of my favorite questions to ask people is, how do you want to die? That can sound threatening, so I don't ask it of too many people, right? But what I mean by that is, under what circumstances would you like to be dead? Would you like everyone in your life to hate you? Would you like no one to show up for your funeral? Would you like to not be missed by anyone? Well, a sane person is not going to say yes to any of those things, right? Usually, it is something more like, yeah, I want my family to be around me. I want to have friends there. I want people to show up and support my family at the funeral, right? Well, as we continue down this this life of discipleship, this path that is laid out before us, um, we have many decisions to make. And yet, one of the decisions that we don't have to make is where our home is. That home is already established for us. That home is already a city that has been built up for us. It's waiting for us. I'm a particularly blessed person in that a couple years back when we had to go back to the States, um, you know, we got there and we, we visited different cities and in each city that we went, People were there with open arms. And then we got back here, and you guys were here with open arms. And it felt like a homecoming going both ways. There's actually so few times in life, and we talked about this in week number two, um, it's more often that you feel like the refugee, right? You go from one place to the next, and people are just kind of like, hey, good to see you. (laughs) Um, People aren't usually there with open arms, waiting for you. Well, that place exists. That homecoming invitation is there. And it's waiting on you. I try not to make a habit of quoting too many people um, in sermons. And uh, at first, this could sound as though it were philosophical or just ideas in the brain. But when you think about this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, this isn't philosophical at all. This is good words about God and His character and what He has planned for each of us. This is from uh, C.S. Lewis in a, a portion of his book, Mere Christianity. The longings which grow up in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or take up some subject that excites us, are longings which no marriage, no travel, and no learning can really satisfy. I'm not now speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages, or bunk holidays, or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible 
ones of each of these. There was something that we grasped at in that first moment of longing, which just fades away in reality. And now there's a couple of wrong ways that you can approach this, and he, he puts out two of them. One of them is a, is a fool's way, and that is that you can um, look at these things and just keep moving from one thing to the next with that excitement all the time. And then at the end of the day, you'll be foolish because you never had anything to hold on to. You were grasping for things that weren't real. And the other thing is that you can become uh, disillusioned, or perhaps he would say a sensible man, and to say, well, I can't really have exactly what I want, so I'm just going to settle. I'm going to settle in every area, and I'm not going to give my heart away to anything, and I'm not going to long for anything. Instead, I'm just going to be totally satisfied in this moment where I'm at. Or, he puts it this way, there's a third way, the Christian way. He says it like this, Creatures are not born with desires unless the satisfaction of those desires also exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is a such thing called food. A duckling starts to swim. And that's why there's water. People feel sexual desire. Well, that's why there is a such thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation, so the most likely thing, is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, it that does not prove that the universe is somehow a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it but only to wake it up, to suggest that the thing is real. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other hand, never to, make, to mistake them for something else of which they are only a copy or an echo of. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Let us be thankful for the longings and blessings that God gives us in this life, but look forward with hope to spending eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. 2 Corinthians 4, 17-18. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen as transient or moving, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Um, I couldn't say it any better than what C.S. Lewis said it there. We do have longings for that home. It's why we become tourists. It's why we become pilgrims. It's why we become refugees. And yet, the earthly things that we seek after will never fully and truly satisfy who it is that we are. You know, oftentimes when we think about heaven, it gets a little bit boring, right? Uh, it's like fat babies with wings, 
and um, what else? I don't know. Escalators. I, I, do people think, you know, like the moving stairs? Um, what else? Clouds, lots of clouds, lots of choir robes and singing. I don't, maybe all that stuff's going to be there. I don't know. What I do know is that the biblical witness says some other things about our heavenly home. And, much to my great excitement, it's not uh, some escalators and fat babies with wings, okay? It's food. (laughs) Much to my great excitement, all of the things that I look for to fulfill all of my desires in this life are just mirages and echoes of what is real and true. Now, in Isaiah, which we read this morning, does this mean that heaven is just going to be one big party all the time? Personally, I think so. Secondly, maybe not, but we have to get at what Isaiah is trying to picture to us in this text. So let me turn over there to Isaiah chapter 25. Uh, And I'll I'll read from verse 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful, and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It it will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will, will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. Foreigners here, what does this mean? Um, I don't think it's talking about me in respect to you, okay? What we're talking about here is Gentiles, okay, people outside the land. And, and specifically, though, we're talking about enemies of God. Enemies of God have been either saved in this circumstance or judged in this circumstance. And then we get to verse 6, which means that God's people are secure. Then we get to verse 6. On this mountaintop, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of His people will take He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in our salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain and Moab shall be trampled down in His place as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And He will spread out His hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads out His hands to swim. But the Lord will lay low His pompous pride together with the skill of His hands. The high fortifications of His walls He will bring down, lay lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. Here is a picture of heaven. 
or what we would have been thinking of in this time period of Isaiah as Zion, God's holy mountain that will last forever. Here we have a picture of security. We have a picture of God's not only just simple provision of maybe some potatoes and some rice, right? (laughs) We have a bounteous provision from the Lord. A a feast. A party. That makes a difference in the way that you view heaven, right? Doesn't it? Going from escalators and clouds and fat angels to a feast and sitting around a table. But with who? Well, let's turn over to the book of Revelation as well. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. And then I heard what seemed like, what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made ready, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And for the fine linen, uh, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this down, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Here we have the fulfillment of that meal in Isaiah 25. This marriage supper of the Lamb where all of God's people are provided for. Elsewhere in Isaiah, we have other pictures of fields full of golden grain ready to harvest. We have... um, Olive, uh, what's the word I want? Groves, I guess. (laughs) Full of olives ready to be harvested to be made for oil. Uh, We have uh, all the bounties of the sea being brought to God's people. Then one more passage that I want to take just a couple of seconds and read together is from Romans 8. Romans 8, starting verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains, in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait 
eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And we'll stop there. This passage brings out something to us that Isaiah has already been trying to show to us uh, that we see in the book of Revelation over and over and over again. That this journey that we are on as disciples um, is one that does not end with you being a little floaty spirit thingy uh, out in the great vast wilderness of God's heaven. It's something that is embodied. It is something that is flesh and that is blood. It's something that, as, as Paul tells us here, um, we are waiting for. We're actually waiting for the redemption of our bodies so that we can enjoy that great feast. So that we can enjoy that great feast even with the one who made that possible for us, our Savior Jesus, who is right now in that same body that we saw Him in at the end of the Gospels. New in some ways and yet still bearing the scars that He bore for you on the cross. Jesus bodily waits for us in a redeemed body that ours will be like one day. Christian, death is a calling that is placed upon your life. So what I mean by that is this. Oftentimes we talk about our different callings as parents and as workers in the different places that we work and as a husband or a wife, whatever the case may be, as a child. These are jobs, vocations, callings that God has given to you. And yet there is a calling that still awaits each of us, and that calling is death. It's something that you are actually called to. One, on, on a daily basis, you are called to die to self, to take up that cross as a disciple and follow Jesus. To be humbled, if you will, to confess your sin and to serve those around you as best as you are able. And this is one of the benefits, actually, that we as Christians have, is that we get to practice our death each and every day. We get to be reminded of it as we set ourselves aside and we look to serve and love our neighbor. And so death is a calling that is placed upon our lives. And though it is... Fearsome, it's not something that we must live in fear of. Because the end of your journey is in sight. And because of Jesus, there's a homecoming that awaits you. One day, you will be welcomed into the Father's arms. One day, you will be present with Christ forever in a home made by God for all of us to take enjoyment in. 
Another lovely picture that we have, and I'll I'll end with this before we go into the Lord's Supper this morning, uh, is at the end of the book of Revelation when we see not just this, this mysterious, what we sometimes think of as mysterious idea of heaven, but we see heaven and earth being made new and becoming one. That is the dwelling place of God and the place that God made for us to dwell, becoming one in the same place where all things, including our bodies, are made new. And it's to that home that you and I will be welcomed in. It is into that heavenly homeland that we will find ourselves forever with God. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.